Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Last week on the podcast, I had Idaho Republican Party Chairman Tom Luna here to talk about the state of the GOP. This week, I'm joined by Jarrett DeLuf. He's the executive director of the Idaho Democratic Party because I wanted to get a sense of the state of the Democratic Party heading into the election year. So we talk about Idaho politics, we talk about the legislature, and I ask about a certain race. I think you know which race I'm going to ask about and where the Democrats stand in terms of finding a candidate there. Here's our conversation. Well, Jared, thanks for joining me for the podcast this week. I want to just start, you're relatively new to the, to the state and your position. Just take a second, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll dive into more questions about uh, the party and politics. Sure. Uh, well, first, thank you for having me, Kevin. This is a great opportunity. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, you are right. I am new uh, to the state of Idaho, a little less new every day. Uh, but I moved here in May of last year. Um, I'm originally a Pennsylvanian. Uh, I grew up on a farm in central Pennsylvania uh, in a place that looks very similar to many of the places that I see as I drive around Idaho. Um, grew up a farm kid, uh, and, you know, really kind of got my start in politics with the first uh, Obama campaign. I walked into a Democratic office somewhere and picked up a clipboard and started registering voters on Penn State's campus and started training folks on how to make phone calls and, and doing door knocking. And I fell in love with it. Uh, and the rest is kind of history. I've, I've spent most of my career in politics. I've worked for Governor Wolf uh, in Pennsylvania. I've spent the last five years before coming to the Idaho Democratic Party at Next Gen America, uh, really focused on the youth vote, 18 to 35-year-olds, and, and getting them registered and turning them out to vote, which is still a huge passion of mine and, and something I'm excited to bring some expertise to here in Idaho. So um, I've moved here. I've bought a house, uh, which was a feat in and of itself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm committed and, and excited to be here. Okay, so this is your first election cycle in Idaho and your first legislative session in, in your capacity as ED. Give me a sense uh, from your perspective right now of the state of the Idaho Democratic Party. So the state of the Idaho Democratic Party now is that they're, from my perspective, and I think those of us closely associated with it, that there is really a seismic shift going on uh, with the party. Um, you know, I want to give a lot of credit to our chair, our former chair, Fred Cornforth, who the news, I believe, broke last week, right. uh, is is facing a, a difficult cancer diagnosis and unfortunately has, has had to step away from his role as chair, which... Um, is a loss both, you know, personally uh, to me, but also to the entire Democratic uh, Party. But what Fred was really able to do, even a small amount of time, was to put a lot of energy and focus and direction into a Democratic Party that I think had struggled with those things for a long time. And we have some really 
concrete and and tangible results, I think, to show that there is momentum here and a a reinvigorated Idaho Democratic Party is is getting underway. We have more than doubled our fundraising last year than the year before. Um, We're actually uh, have a larger budget than many state democratic parties that are of similar size uh, than us. And and I think um, we're just hearing from people all across the state that are calling our office here or showing up to our events around the state and are saying, you know, I haven't been involved or maybe I wasn't even a Democrat before, but they see what happened in the last legislative session. They see what's happening with the Republican Party in Idaho. And folks are saying, hey, there's something going on here. Uh, and I think they're rightfully, you know, looking at the Democratic Party again and saying, you know, I think some of our common sense proposals and what we're doing is what people are looking for that are quite frankly tired of the ideology and the fighting and the circus uh, that seems to be a constant here in Boise. So fundraising is obviously one metric that you can use to measure where a party stands. But another metric is is candidate recruiting. And you've got a lot of top ticket races right now where you're still recruiting. Give me a sense of what's going on there. Definitely. The top of the ticket uh, ones, I think we're very excited about uh, we our candidates uh, running for governor. Uh, very excited about Terry Pickens Banwiler running for lieutenant governor. I think, you know, we are very, to be honest with you, state focused here on the issues here in Idaho right now. We really think that that is where the opportunity is for us in 2022, uh, given the state of the Idaho Republican Party and the the frankly, the the terrible job that they've done uh, with their supermajority here and actually addressing the the concerns of of regular Idahoans. Um, We have been focused on recruiting for legislative districts. We have been focused on making sure that our state offices get filled. Um, I am happy to say that we will be fielding more candidates for legislative office uh, than we have in recent memory. But not only are we actively recruiting, but in many ways for the first time, we're providing both financial and training support to all of our candidates uh, that are running for legislature and getting started early. Um, We have no false impressions that any of this is easy. There's no doubt Idaho is a tough state for Democrats, but we believe that with the right message, uh, the Republicans uh, doing a lot of the work for us uh, just by generally being bad at governance um, and the energy and enthusiasm that we're seeing across the state. There's some real opportunities for us this year, uh, and, and I think we're going to take advantage of them. Okay. Let me drill down on the recruiting question to one particular race, and you know which race I'm going to ask you about, state yes. superintendent. Uh, what's the status on uh, finding a candidate in that race? Yes, uh, we are still in conversations with a few folks uh, that I'm hoping to to have uh, throw their hat in the ring soon. Um, look, there's no question. This is a, a really competitive statewide seat for a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, history shows that education is such a major issue uh, in Idaho and one that 
you know, voters across political party affiliation associate the Democrats as being stronger on. Um, so I do believe we will have a candidate. Um, but, you know, regardless, education is going to be a central plank of what all of our candidates are talking about, whether it's governor uh, down to uh, any, you know, state house seat. Um, we're going to make sure that that's part of the conversation this year. And how do you see education playing as an issue for the Democrats, not just in the superintendent's race, but you mentioned legislative races as well. How is this an issue that Democrats run on in in 2022? Well, look, I think Democrats have a a long history of being right on the issue and also in line with where uh, the average voter is on this. Um, We... Idaho is 51st in per pupil education funding, as I certainly know that you know, Kevin. Uh, but, you know, the Republicans have been in a supermajority for how long in Idaho and have refused to uh, address this issue. We are losing teachers all the time. And I think for us, the moment when we really said, you know, I think when most voters looked at the situation and said enough is enough is quite frankly, the unbelievable situation that happened in the last session where they turned down $6 million in federal grant money, money that was coming into the state, not out of Idaho taxpayer dollars, uh, to institute universal pre-K. And when they turned that down, I thought something is definitely uh, going on here. So the Republicans are you know, unimaginably weak on this issue. Democrats have been fighting the fight to get education funding up for a long time now and have been sounding the alarm on this uh, for a while. We're going to continue to do that, you know, and and this issue isn't even just about education or for folks who don't have kids in public schools. Um, For every property taxpayer out there that's looking at their assessments and their bill go up year after year, because the legislature is failing in its responsibility, its constitutional responsibility to properly fund education, it, that burden is getting passed on to the taxpayers uh, through supplemental levies and, and all these other things that we're seeing. So this not only makes sense for us as a party uh, to push for the future and making sure that we have an educated workforce, but also to take some of the burden off the backs of people that you know are elderly, are veterans, people on fixed incomes that, quite frankly, can't keep shouldering the cost of improvements and, and keeping education funding. Uh, or getting it where it needs to be. And you mentioned the supplemental levies, and I'm always interested in that in terms of the politics because it feels like there's maybe a disconnect there. I mean, in a lot of communities, voters are routinely approving supplemental levies, often by very wide majorities. And these are rural communities where Democrats have struggled to find candidates and have struggled to win races at the legislative level or the local level. I mean, there's a disconnect there, isn't there? Um, yes, I think that there is. I mean, one of the things that the whole issue of supplemental levies and everything, this whole thing has been a crash course for me uh, and the places that I've lived and things. This is uh, a new way of doing it. One of the things that was my first impressions of the Democratic Party here when I started was how involved 
our activists and our leaders across the state are and actually getting supplemental levies passed. I mean, it is our county chairs, our precinct people, the same people, you know, that are coming to our state central committees that are really out there pounding the pavement, knocking the doors um, to get these things passed. And and it's a it's a tough fight. You look at some of these uh, supplemental levies and, and they're close. And I really think it is this is a spot where Democrats are really doing the heavy lifting in their communities to get this done. And so that's a that's a particular, I think, piece of, of pride for us. Um, yeah, look, I mean, back to the education funding, you know, a lot of school districts right now are running $220 million supplemental yeah. levies to help fund these sorts of things. And Governor Little wants to call his education bill historic. And quite frankly, we think it's too little too late. Um, you know, they are what he's in, what he is saying would essentially work out to be $220 million more per year um, over five years. That's just not enough. It doesn't even budge the needle on Idaho still being 51st uh, and per pupil funding. And so I, I think it's showing that they need to address this in some way because the voters are quite frankly outraged about it. Um, but still it's, it's just not enough. As you watch what's happening within the Republican Party and the animosity, really, when you get down to it between uh, candidates for governor, candidates for lieutenant governor, do you see that as an opening? Oh, I think certainly. Right. Anytime that your opponents are divided amongst themselves, uh, that is an opening for us. Uh, But um, as far as, you know, the the voters go and looking at these choices. Um, I think when you look at it, it is the difference between, you know, Governor Little and and the Lieutenant Governor is really more an an issue of style over substance. Um, If you look at, you know, the bills that the Brad is signing, even if he doesn't like them, uh, as he says, he's still signing them. I mean, this is what I think is the false narrative is to paint that there is this moderate wing of the Republican Party and then there is the far, far right extremists. And yes, you definitely see some folks that are better at getting in front of a TV camera. But when it comes to, you know, extremism, the entire party is there, right? I mean, just today they passed another massive tax giveaway for some of the wealthiest people uh, in the state. And that's the first thing uh, that the that the House has done, essentially, right? Like that is extreme. And all but one Republican voted for it. So I do think it's a false choice to say that, oh, there's the moderate wing and, and they're somehow more acceptable, but then there's the far right ones. And at the end of the day, when it comes to writing, passing and signing lil- bills, I don't see much daylight between them. And that messaging that you're talking about, uh, challenging the message that you've got a moderate wing of the Republican Party and a conservative wing of the Republican Party, that's a message you're having to deliver to to Democratic voters, to potential Democratic voters, because, you know, there's this ongoing debate about should Democratic voters or Democratic-leaning voters participate in the Republican Party because it's a chance to vote uh, for moderate candidates as opposed to uh, hard right conservatives. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a lot of talk about this and, and the primary and things like this. Obviously, you know, the Republicans are a bit concerned about it as they were considering whether uh their candidates need to pass the central committee vote to get on the ballot. And yeah, this is definitely a huge topic of conversation. Look, I think the main issue here is that Idahoans feel like they are not being heard. And I think that is a product of we have had a Republican supermajority control uh, for too long. And that ever since they closed their primary, the party has veered so far to the right that it's actually gotten to the point where in many cases it's made Idaho in the last couple of years a national laughing stock. And I think Idahoans are very proud uh, of where they live as as we should be uh, and, and don't like that, um, right? And I think they're looking at that and they're right to be concerned about uh, uh, the possibility of a uh, Governor Janice McGeehan. I mean, that is that's a real threat uh, to things. But you know what we're telling people, what my firm view is, is that what Idaho would benefit from is a much more balanced government with different perspectives. And I think people need to look and say, this is not my father's Republican Party. This is not my grandmother's Republican Party. And you know. Idaho Democrats are a proud group of common sense, practical results oriented people. Um, And I think folks need to put their talents and their energy and their time uh, into building uh, a party that can stand up and and fight for the things like education funding and and sane government that I think we're hearing from people that they want all the time, uh, including a lot of Republicans. How does the national brand of the Democratic Party work against what you're trying to do at the state level. I mean, the president didn't poll well here in 2020. And since then, you know, there's been a lot of criticism directed at the White House from from Idaho Republicans, whether it's inflation or the border or vaccine mandates, you, you name it. How do you distance from the national brand? Well, I think that to a certain extent, Idaho Dems are uh, are our own brand and and have a a history of that. I mean, look, the Republicans, no matter what, no matter who we run or what we say is always going to paint us as the party of AOC or the left wing or Bernie Sanders, you know, depending. Um, That's always going to happen. And I think we're ready for it. But I think that there is this history and this idea that is still very true today of an Idaho Democrat. I mean, if you think of Frank Church, you think of Cecil Andrus, uh, to our current legislators that we have working on the Capitol every day. I mean, I think that our brand is as a common sense, moderate practical, results-oriented, good government uh, type of politician. Um, And I think our our current legislators do a good job of exhibiting those traits every day. And that's who who we are, uh, is the Idaho Democrats. Um, I think we are not a, a party, unlike the Republicans here in Idaho, that are beholden to an ideology or always trying to see who can be the most pure in their, you know, affiliation to the IFF or, or whatever group may be calling the shots that day. Um, you know, and I think that that message is, I think there's a lot of potential for that message to carry through for us. And is there a template for the Idaho democratic party 
that you can pull from other Western states, you know, Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, Colorado. I mean, those were all states that voted for Biden in 2020. The, you know, is, is there a template there? Is there a playbook there? Absolutely. I mean, there are, as I always like to tell our our activists and our folks out there, you know, it was not that long ago that no one thought Virginia, Georgia, Colorado, Arizona, you know, ever had shots of, of being blue. Now, Idaho has, is not those states and, and there's other realities. I'm not here to sell folks a, a bill of false goods, but we have major opportunities here that we, I think, as a party have not done a good job of uh, tapping into in the past. And so there's, I think there's three real like wells of opportunity for us to to grow and to improve our margins here. Um, the first obviously is with Hispanic voters. Um, there are, you know, we think probably 50,000 unregistered Hispanic voters that are very likely to be Democrats within the state. Um, and a major push and focus for us all throughout this year is going to be connecting with that community uh, in an authentic way, um, talking to them about the issues that their community faces, um, talking about how we as the Democratic Party uh, can help uh, and represent that community and, and really earn their vote. Because within um, some of those communities, I mean, that's a block of voters that could swing a legislative race or two. Absolutely. You look at Canyon County, you look at, you know, different places that I think are up and coming competitive spots. That's the future right there is is who can win Hispanic uh, voters. And we're taking it very seriously. We have for the first time ever hired a full time uh, Hispanic uh, outreach coordinator uh, that, you know, we're just last night. We did a community event uh, in Caldwell uh, focused on the Hispanic community and how to register to vote and, and uh, how to find your polling place and all those things. And we're finding, you know, tremendous amount of hunger and enthusiasm for that sort of stuff. Um, we're definitely going to be focused on voter registration, voter education with that community um, and talking to them in an authentic way. So, so that was one of your wells. And you said there were two others. Yes, two others. So the other is young voters. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is a passion of mine. I'm a big believer in it. I think if you look at Idaho, the rates of youth participation are a little bit below the national average. Uh, I think there's a lot of work that can be done, particularly on our colleges and universities, um, as well as, you know, young voters are the ones that are impacted by things uh, like rent and, you know, are still recovering from the pandemic in, in a way that's really difficult. And the Republicans certainly have been no friends uh, to young voters. So talking to them about why it's important to vote Democrat, getting them registered the same. And then the third one I want to talk about is just people that are not participating in the process now. Um, I think there's a lot of folks that uh, for too long have looked at Idaho politics and said, you know, ah, yeah, it's crazy what's going on here. Or I, you know, I'm really upset about, you know, the abortion bills that they're putting forth or that they won't add, you know, sexual orientation to the discrimination. There's a lot of folks like those are, you know, 
important values that a lot of Idahoans hold, but they don't think that there's really a point. And I really see our job as the Idaho Democratic Party and my job as executive director is to go make the case to those people every day that there's something to tap in here. There's something to tap into here. Uh, and, and now's a good opportunity to do that and that it's time to get back into the political arena, maybe if you've sat out for the last little bit. And so we're going to re-engage with our voters and, and make the case uh, that the Democrats deserve their vote. Well, I think that kind of covered the questions I had for you right now. I think we may have to get back together at some point uh, after the cycle and talk about how it turned out. Great. I would look forward to that. Thank you, Jared. Thank you so much, Kevin. Again, that was Jared DeLuf, the executive director of the Idaho Democratic Party. Now we come to the point of the podcast where I make my weekly appeal for you to check us out at IdahoAidNews.org and get caught up on the week's news. And I really mean it this week. There was a lot of news, a lot you can find at IdahoAidNews.org. Blake Jones and I continue to cover the legislature on a daily basis. So uh, we have updates from the entire week. Sherry Ibarra began the week on Monday morning, making her budget presentation to the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee. We have full coverage of that. We have full coverage of the first parental rights bill coming up before the Senate Education Committee and a dust-up that occurred after that hearing. So we have full coverage of that. Kyle Fonensteel is leading our coverage on COVID in schools. He is tracking school closures as the Omicron variant works its way through the state. I do my weekly roundup on the Omicron variant and the coronavirus numbers. They are not trending well. We'll have another roundup of those numbers on Monday, get you caught up on what we are seeing in the schools. And that's just the beginning of what will be another busy week for us. Week three of the legislature is Higher Education Week at JFAC. We will hear from all of the college and university presidents as they make their budget pitches. We'll be there. We'll have full coverage. And we'll have full coverage of anything else that occurs in the next few days pertaining to education policy and education politics. So follow us at idahoednews.org for the latest. Follow us on Twitter at idahoednews. We'll tweet out links to our stories, bulletins on breaking items. Follow us on Facebook and comment on our stories there. And check back next Friday for another podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Stay safe and have a good week.